If you want to find 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, What we're doing over these last few weeks, and we've got a few more weeks to go, is we're just taking a bit of time uh, on Sundays to look at the question of who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do uh, in us as his people, the church. Uh, This is a bit of a core value for us. This is a big part of who we are. We would describe ourselves as a, a charismatic church. That word charismatic could mean all sorts of different things to you, um, but to us it means that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We believe that the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit are alive today, and that God wants to speak to us and shape us and help us to follow him and live lives of grace and worship strengthened by his power. Um, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna read uh, just two, no, three verses actually, We're going to read the first verse of chapter 14, and then we're going to read the last two verses. There's a whole chunk in the middle that we're not going to get to today, so we're just going to read this first one. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And then the next, the last two verses in the chapter Read, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Okay, let me pray. Jesus, we want to, we want to be uh, people, we want to be individuals that earnestly desire you, Jesus We want our hearts to be full of worship and adoration for you. And we want to receive, even today, we want to receive the the gifts that you have for us by the Holy Spirit. We want them to strengthen us as a people together. And I pray just as we look at this subject that for many will even be controversial as we study it today, we pray that you would open our hearts to what your word says and you'd fill us with a real joy and a liberty and a freedom in serving you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I was cycling here this morning, and I was cycling through the pipe, and I got a wonderful picture of the beauty and craziness of the city that we live in. I was just admiring the beautiful architecture and the lovely trees and the beautiful parks. So I was cycling through, thinking, what a great place to live. And then I cycled past this sign uh, by an open door, and people were going in this door, and the sign said, Cuddle Workshop. Yeah, there you go. Cuddle Workshop. Anyone ever been to a Cuddle Workshop? No, me neither, me neither. And I I thought, that's a bit weird. And I carried on cycling, and then as I was cycling, I could hear, you know, how people have those little kind of portable speakers that they have around with them, normally teenagers. And, and you hear that, boof, boof, boof. and I could hear that kind of approaching me from behind. Boof, boof, boof. I thought, it's Sunday morning. <sighs> These young people. And uh, as it got closer and closer, I thought, I recognize that tune. That's the Firestarter by The Prodigy. Does anyone know that song? I won't sing it to you because, you know, there's some probably parental guidance around the lyrics for that song. But anyway, I could hear it getting closer and closer. I think, yeah, that's definitely The Firestarter by The Prodigy. And then this bike goes shooting past me, and it's this old guy, like super gray hair, probably in his 50s or 60s. I'm thinking, this is bizarre. 
So there we go. That's the kind of crazy city that, that we live in. And often we can, we can see this idea of spiritual gifts. We can understand that a little bit in a similar way, that you might walk past a sign saying, cuddle workshop, and be kind of terrified, like, what on earth is that about? That just sounds weird. I'm not going to go anywhere near it. Or you might think, oh, do you know what? I'd really just love a free hug. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go in there, get myself one of those hugs. Depending on how you're built, how you're made, you might have two very different responses to those things. And I think that's what happens when we begin to consider this idea of spiritual gifts. We either think, ugh, seems a bit weird to me, or we think, oh, yes, magical powers, mystical forces available to me. And we can get kind of sucked in either one way or the other. Um, and I think. This is kind of part of the tension that Paul is addressing here in this letter. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And on one hand, he says to them, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, particularly prophecy. He says, earnestly desire it. He doesn't say just kind of understand it, you know, just get a biblical understanding of it. He says, no, desire it. That's like a heart, it's an emotive thing to earnestly desire it. But on the other hand, he also says that these things should be done decently and in order. And I think he's addressing those two different perspectives that we have. For the people that think, oh goodness, that sounds a bit weird, I don't want any of that. He says to us, hold on a second, earnestly desire these things. What, what, what does the Bible actually say these things are about? If, the, if they're true, if they're biblical, if they're gifts that are for today, we should be desiring them. But then for those of us who are thinking, yes, party time, he says, hold on a second, let's make sure we're doing these things in line with what the Bible teaches. And that's what we want to try and help us to understand today and to achieve. So first of all, what are the spiritual gifts? Uh, you can read about them in Romans uh, chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians 12. And in Ephesians 4, there are lots of different gifts listed, things like prophecy, teaching, exhorting, service, leading, giving, mercy, ability to distinguish between spirits, wisdom, miracles, the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues, the gift of faith, gift of apostles, gift of helping, gifts of administration, gifts of Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, as it talks about in Ephesians 4. There's lots of different gifts that the Bible mentions. And we don't have time to go into all of them today. But there's a little bit of a summary that we've, I've tried to come up with here, which this is really clever, because I don't normally do this, but there's, a, there's an acronym here. I don't know if you can spot it. But there's a G, and then there's an I, and there's an F, there's a T down the left there. Gift. I mean, there are actually two Gs. So that's the way the Dutch would say it. Gift, okay, yeah? <laughs> so, what are spiritual gifts? Firstly, they're grace gifts. The gifts of grace. The word is charismata, which means grace gifts that Jesus has given to us. So they're given by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and to his church. And they're given individually to individuals, but for the benefit of all, for the benefit of the whole community, 
and they're finally there to the glory of Jesus. So that's a bit of a summary of what spiritual gifts are. If you want to know more about them and really uh, much more than we're going to get to today, really delve into them, let me recommend this book. It's by Sam Storms. It's called Practicing the Power, and it's about learning to minister God's grace in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's just a really helpful um, guide to what are these gifts of the Spirit in the Bible. It'll answer some of your questions about things like healing and prophecy. Are these things for today? He really unpacks these things brilliantly in this book. So I very much recommend that to you. And as I said, we're not going to get into all of them today, but hopefully what we have to say is going to help you a little bit. But what I wanted to do was spend a little bit of time talking about, I guess, some of the barriers to us or to you for stepping into these things. Because I think for all of us, probably, I would imagine for most of us here, we read about these things and we think, yes, I'd like more of that. As we've been going through this series on the Holy Spirit, you're thinking, yeah, I want more of this in my life, but I don't quite recognize this in me, or when I look around the church community, I think surely there's more for us to step into. So I want to talk about some of the barriers, some of the reasons that we don't step into these things. So first of all, reason number one is uh, the enlightenment, which is, that's the great thing, isn't it? If you've ever got a problem, just blame it on some really big idea that doesn't make any sense. Just say the enlightenment, it's that fault. The issue of this era that we live in the Enlightenment is, I guess, a, a, a period of time, particularly something that happened in our world. Whereas if maybe 200 years ago, if you believed in uh, not even religious ideas, but spiritual ideas, that would be accepted. That would be normal. That would just be to, to not believe in any kind of spirituality. That would be the odd thing. Uh, but then this kind of uh, series of kind of ideas came into the world, described as the Enlightenment, where we were trained to begin to think more reasonably, more rationally, to trust in science, and not to trust so much on mysticism and spirituality, to the place now where the, I'm sure you're aware of it, in the places that you work, your family, your friends, and your neighbors, that to believe, not necessarily even in Jesus, but to believe in anything other than you, that's the weird thing now. That makes you an exception, makes you abnormal, not a normal person. You could say that maybe 200 years ago we lived in this, with this idea of kind of an open heaven, that anybody could have access to any kind of spirituality, whereas now a sociologist would say, well, we live in this kind of closed heaven world, well, nobody believes you can have any kind of, any sort of transcendent relationship with anything above that's other than you. And I'm not saying that we as Christians need to just abandon any kind of reason or rationality or science, but we have to understand there are some things that science can't explain. There are some things that reason and, reason and rationality can't explain, but also at the same time, I think our Christian faith does have a firm basis in reason that we can argue what we believe. That there's not, I don't mean arguing in, in, a, in an aggressive way, but we can explain what we believe and that it's true. And we can back it up with truth. 
If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus, we want you to know that, that what we believe is, is true. And we're not just going to force you into that position, but I'd invite you to come and ask questions. If you're saying, what, is that true? Does, does the Bible really make sense? I thought there were lots of contradictions in the Bible. Explain that to me. We'd love to sit down and explain to you why we believe what we believe and how it's changed our lives. But we have to be aware of this idea that there isn't any kind of spirituality anymore. And that kind of thinking in the world around us has infiltrated into the church. Whereas as churches all over the world, we love, particularly in the Western world, we love teaching and we love fact, things that we can prove. We love seminars and lectures and big books, but we're very close to the things of the Spirit because we've been affected by the world around us that says you can't have those things, that that's not the world that we live in anymore. And what I'm not doing is trying to say to you, you need to suspend and, and put pause all those things, all those ideas and thoughts and plans and what you understand, what you've studied, to believe in miracles, to believe in a God of power, that's not a suspension of the natural order, actually it's a restoration. That, that's what God's trying to do through the gifts of the Spirit, is to, to bring our world back into line with what it really should be. To come into a broken world and bring healing. These spiritual gifts are supposed to, as a church, bring us back together, bring us back into unity with Christ. It's, it's supposed to preach to the world around us and display what's really true. It's not trying to whip up some fanciful lie. It's telling the truth about what the world is really like. And as... Western Christians, we have to be careful that we don't slip into kind of a, I guess, an, an elitism about our faith. Because actually, if you go out of the Western world, if you go into Asia and Africa and South America, uh, in those places, Christianity is flourishing. It's growing at an incredible rate. And most of them are churches that are very radically Pentecostal that believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, that pray for people to get healed and see people healed, that pray for lives to be changed and see radical life change. And we can look down on that with a kind of snooty kind of Western mindset, thinking that somehow we're more superior and intelligent. And that's just not true. So you need to watch in your heart if you've been judging things when really if you look at what God's doing in the majority of the world, their expression of church might look quite different from, from what ours is. Another barrier is the idea of individualism. Now, I know you probably think, oh man, he's always going on about individualism. Well, we'll stop talking about it when we all stop doing it, okay? Let's just agree on that. But we live in a very individual society, and how we understand where you do see people in our world that, that search out spirituality, and there are lots of people that are doing that. That's what this Cuddles workshop was about, really. It's people trying to find some sense of warmth, some sense of transcendent feeling. A few weeks ago, there was a, we have an office up here, and there was an event on all week here, and it was a yoga class. And they spent all day doing all sorts of things that I don't understand. And it was quite easy to feel the temptation to try and judge them and I had to try and keep 
soft-hearted and think, actually, they're just a room full of people searching for something. The, um, one of the, a, a writer who speaks a lot to secular people about spirituality, Deepak Chopra, he said spirituality is basically self-awareness. That's what people are searching for. We're trained to think, I need to look inside myself to find any sort of transcendence, to find any sort of meaning or purpose. I look in, that's what people are doing all the time in this city around us. People are looking inside themselves. They feel this emptiness in their life and they look here to try and get the answer. And unfortunately, again, we can bring that mindset into how we minister as believers into the church. We come to the Holy Spirit and we want to hear his voice speak to us so he can solve all our problems, so he can give us the answers to all the questions that we have. But yet, as we were looking about in last week in the Pentecost story in Acts chapter 2, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes on a, on a people corporately. It says in 1 Corinthians that we as the church, the body of Christ, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to a people. He comes to a people. These gifts are individually given. It says in Romans 12, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. God will give you gifts that are different from other people but the gifts he'll give you are for the benefit of other people. They're to bless others in the church. So even what I'm doing now is what the Bible would describe in, in Romans and in 1 Corinthians as either the gift of teaching, the gift of preaching. It's a spiritual gift. But my aim is to do it for the, for the good of all of you. And sadly, you can get preachers who, who do it for themselves to build up their own reputation, to make themselves look good. And that's not what this is for. These spiritual gifts are to bless those around us, to serve the body that we've been made part of. They're for a corporate edification, to edify, to serve each of us, not for any kind of personal elevation. So that's one barrier. Another barrier is the Christian subculture with which we can find ourselves in. Because as I said, these gifts are for the church Actually, if you read, particularly in the book of Acts, if you read how the church was using these gifts, most of the time they were for people outside of their community. They, they were used for mission, to draw people in, to display something of who Jesus is and his love for people and draw them into their community. And yet so often in Christian circles, we, we treat these gifts as, as like fireworks, there's kind of play toys, and we gather, we have conferences together, we have events together, Christians huddle together, and use these things to kind of bless each other. That's not necessarily bad, but if we're not careful, we can miss that these are things to equip the church to go out into the world and to bless and serve the city that we live in. The next barrier would be, I guess you could call it legalism. I think this is probably a stumbling block that many of you will face. That you can think, well, I'm just, I'm just not holy enough. You know, that person there, they're, they're, they're gifted. But it's, it's because they're better than me. 
You know, they've, they've obviously, they're obviously a better Christian than me. Therefore, they have this gift. We get into this very legalistic mindset that, you know, if I really want to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit, then I need, to, I need to fix all these issues in my life. I need to sort myself out first. But actually, as we've said already, these, these are grace gifts. So often you'll hear of people, um, particularly you, can, you could flip on the, the TV and you could find some Christian TV channels with sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes people doing things there in the name of Christ that I think are not biblical. And you think, how does God let that happen? How can that preacher say that thing? And the thing is, they're, they're grace gifts. They're grace gifts. If, if, if God was going to wait until we're all perfect before he gives us his gifts to build the church, then nothing would ever happen. The church would never grow. God gives his Holy Spirit to us fallen, sinful people as an act of his sovereign grace because he loves us. God has gifts that he wants to give you, gifts that he's already given you that he wants to breathe into life today. And it really doesn't matter what kind of week you've had. I'm not saying that to minimize sin, but I'm saying that, that Christ has paid for that already. He set you free to minister in his power. There's a writer called, um, I can't remember his surname, first name, something Parks. And he said spiritual gifts a grace-taking substance, the grace of God becoming concrete, tangible. When you see someone ministering in the gifts of the Spirit, whether it's someone uh, preaching or prophesying or speaking in tongues, or someone helping, serving, administrating, what you see is the grace of God at work. That's what you see when those things happen. This is the grace of God working out here. The next reason, the next barrier we have is often abuse in that we've seen these gifts of the Spirit abused, maybe by the celebrity preacher on TV or we've been to conferences or even in churches, even like this, where we've seen the gift of the Spirit abused. And Paul speaks right into that in the book of 1 Thessalonians. He says, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. I think the reason that Paul tells us to do not despise prophecies, because they were having the same problem in Thessalonica as we have in our world today, that sometimes gifts like prophecy are, are abused. And, and our temptation can then be to back off and think, well, if it looks like that, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And we step away and we walk away from it. And Paul's encouragement to us is, don't despise those things. Test them and hold fast to what is good. Sometimes I've had people come and pray for me and pray something over me that Perhaps 50% of it has been nonsense, seriously. But the other half, I felt, oh, that's good. I'm going to receive the good bit and take that as encouragement. And the other bit, I can just ignore. 
Because that's what Paul tells us to do here. Test it and hold fast to what is good. That bit was good, I'm going to hold fast to that. That bit was important, I'm going to let that serve me and bless me. Because the thing is, we could talk about prophecy here, but it's true for all of these gifts of the Spirit, they can all be abused. As in, you can have administrators, it says administration is a gift of the Spirit, you can have administrators who are corrupt. You can have Bible teachers who are heretical, who preach lies about the gospel, but we don't stop teaching because that happens. We don't stop administrating because some people are corrupt. We carry on doing it. The, the, the antidote for misuse is not disuse, but proper use, okay? And so often we see something done badly, so we just back off, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. That's weird, that's odd, I'm gonna step away. Whereas actually what we need to do is bring it to Scripture and say, what does the Bible say about these things? How do we see it practiced in Scripture? I want to be like that. I want to learn how to do it that way. And we to earnestly desire these things. Because I think prophecy in particular, when used properly, is such a brilliant, powerful, beautiful gift that will conserve you, conserve the church in wonderful ways powerful ways. That's why Joe and I are here, because God spoke to us really clearly. It was, in, we, we, it was in, in 2011, this is eight years ago now, we were away at a conference together with thousands of other people, and uh, a friend of ours who, we don't know him that well, we see him every now and again, he came up to me and he said to, to me and Joe, I've got, I feel God wants to say something to you, and he, he prophesied over us. And he said, uh, at the time I was living in Brighton in England, he said, God is calling you to, to move to continental Europe and plant churches. And I'd never considered that, ever. And I suddenly thought, oh, where did that come from? That's literally what I thought. And Joe and I had a conversation afterwards and said, oh, well, that's a bit new, you know. And then the next day, less than 24 hours later, We'd not told anybody this apart from one or two close friends that we talked to the next day. And then another lady came up to me and she said, oh, God gave me a picture for you. I saw a map of Europe. I thought, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that rings a bell. And then th the same time as this is happening, Joe is somewhere else at this conference and a lady came up to her and said, I, are you moving to Europe? Just asked her a question. And Joe said, what? Where did that come from? When three things like that happen in the space of 24 hours, I, I don't know how else you explain that other than God was speaking to us. And that ignited something in us that led us to moving here. The same time when that, the first guy came up to me and told us about moving to Europe, he also said to me that what was going to happen was uh, as a sign that God was going to bring change into our lives, that we were gonna start finding coins everywhere. As the English would say, like loose change. It's like a Holy Spirit play on words. That everywhere you go, you're gonna find coins. And that is, uh, no, no lie, that is exactly what happened. Over the next three years, from then in 2011 to when we moved in 2014, I just found coins, coins everywhere I went. 
hundreds. I would come home to Joe and say, oh yeah, I found another coin today. And that would happen probably three or four times a week. All the time, I was finding money all over the place. It was great. I mean, it wasn't a lot of money, because they're normally just like a penny, but it was great fun. And it was God just reminding me. Because in those three years, there were lots of moments where I thought, oh, I'm not sure we want to do this. I'm not sure this is going to happen. And then I'd find another coin. And God would just prompt me, I'm bringing change into your life. Now, that might sound totally weird and wacky to you. It's because it is. Right? That's not normal. But sometimes God breaks into our normality to shake us up and to speak to us. You know, this whole church is here because God spoke, not just to me and Joe, but there are others here as well that they're here because God spoke to them. Len and Maria, Len was in South Africa, and God said, you need to go to Amsterdam and be involved in, in starting a church there. He said, all right. And he's here. They've just had a baby. You've got people like Simon and Lottie. Again, they're here because God spoke to them. Many others in this congregation that are here because God's led them here. Because before we even dreamed about it, God had already started dreaming about this church. Before I'd, before I'd ever even knew where Holland was. You know, God had started prompting this, starting this thing, breathing this thing into being. Another barrier is, I guess another one that's probably very common to a lot of us is just fear. Fear. Is that we, we want to do these things, but we, we don't know how, or we're scared of what people will think of us, or we don't want to make a mistake. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. That should be very releasing for us. Because, because sometimes we hold, particularly prophecy, we hold it as this kind of sort of elite gift that you need to kind of, your, your first prophecy needs to be in five years' time, there's going to be a famine in Amstelveen and all the dogs are going to die or something. You know, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be this accurate, spot-on, wonderful thing. Because gifts that, that, even in the natural, gifts that you have... If you're a gifted musician, and that, I believe, is a gift God's given you, for most people anyway, you don't just sit down and just play. You know, you're not like this kind of Mozart figure that any instrument you pick up, away you go. You have to learn. You have a gift, but you have to practice it. You have to breathe it into life. You have to bring it into being. It's the same with any other. You can, you can have the gift here of, of helping, and you want to help people. God's just put that on your heart. You just love helping people. You see someone who's needy and just compassion stirs within you. That's a gift that God's given you. But you need to learn how to do that well. I remember once I was uh, 19 years old. I was living in Torquay in the southwest of England, doing, uh, taking a year out to serve the church there. And there was this homeless guy near where the office of the church was. And I would regularly give him money because I just my heart was stirred with compassion for this homeless man. I want to serve him. And someone said to him, you realize what he's doing with that money? He's just going and buying drugs. Like, you're not actually helping him. I thought, oh, yeah, okay. I've got, God's given me this compassion for him, but I need to learn how to use that well. So I started buying him a sandwich rather than giving him money to bless him. And even that, there's so much more that God wanted to do in that man's life that God could have grown me in to help 
him with. And there are gifts God's given you that he wants to breathe into life. He wants to, he wants to train you in those things, to teach you what it is to love people, to serve people, to bless people, to teach people. Even the gift of, the gift of faith, described here in 1 Corinthians 12 as a spiritual gift. Some people just have an extraordinary ability to have faith for things. But often if God gives you that gift, he'll grow it in you. He'll give you something to pray for, and you'll pray for that small thing, and it will happen. And then he'll give you another thing to pray for, and you pray for that thing, and it will happen. And he'll give you another bigger thing to, to have faith for. That's how it works. God will train you in these things. But we can often get put off because of, because of fear. I think probably the best antidote to that really is just to bring things to, to the Bible, particularly with the gift of prophecy. Probably the main fear is that we, we don't want to say something that's actually not in the Bible, that's wacky, that's unbiblical. But yet Paul says, he t- tells us, don't despise it, test it. So, so test it. Bring it, to, does this line up with what the Bible teaches? Yes, then, then perhaps we should... Perhaps we should go for it. The final barrier to spiritual gifts uh, is that of distraction. I think of all of these things, this is probably the one we least noticed, but is the biggest barrier is distraction. That we're so lost in the digital world that surrounds us on your phone or wherever else, whatever social media thing, whatever it is, that actually we're, we're really just too distracted to hear from God. I think that's probably maybe the biggest problem for the, the church in our world today. The poet Mary Oliver, she said that, uh, let me get it right, what she said, she said, attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion. What you give attention to, that will become something you devote yourself to, something you adore. Maybe that's a question you need to consider. What are you giving your attention to? What, what's, what's captivated you? What do you give your time to? Now, I don't want to just say this. I'm not up here just trying to condemn you all. I think this is a problem for me too. I'm just so distracted. Actually, recently, um, this may sound a bit wacky to some of you, but I don't care. Recently, God's begun to speak to me in dreams. Uh, over the last couple of months, I've had probably about six or seven dreams where God's, and I don't normally dream, so this is unusual for me, that I'll wake up and I'll have a very, I'll remember it really clearly. And they're not those kind of wacky dreams where something happens, you know, and then Elvis rides in on a donkey or whatever. It's not that kind of dream. <laughs> but like things, like really clear things have happened. And God's been using those things to speak to me, to speak about things that are happening in this church. God's been speaking to me. And I was trying to think, why has this suddenly started happening? I've never, I've never known this before. I've never really had dreams before where God's spoken to me, but he's been speaking to me really clearly. Why is this happening? I think there, there are probably two reasons. Number one, I don't think this one's true, but it says in the book of Joel, which we were looking at last week, which is quoted in Pentecost, that old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. 
So it could be, I don't think so, but it could be that I'm getting old. Or it could be that it's just God's grace speaking to me even when I'm too distracted to listen. Just in his kindness, he's been saying, Matt, I want to speak to you, but you're not listening, so I'm going to interrupt your dreams. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I, think, I honestly think that's what God's been doing in my life. But I don't want that to be the way that God speaks to me. You know, it's great fun, but I want to spend time studying in the Word and let God speak to me through the Word. I want to spend time praying and fasting and seeking God and let him stir my heart, you know? I don't want to be so distracted that I'm not able to hear from him. It says in, in the Bible that sometimes what we hear from God is a still, small voice. And to hear that voice, you have to be paying attention. Make some space in your life to hear from God. And you might have all sorts of questions about how do I hear from God, what does that mean, what am I looking for, please come and ask me those questions. But it starts with making time to hear God. If you want to hear from God, then, then listen, listen. So there are some barriers we've looked at. Finally, I just want to look at a few pointers on how to desire. It says we should desire these gifts, that we should earnestly desire. We should earnestly desire, particularly prophecy. How does it happen? Well, first step number one is you need to actually desire them. I heard someone say once that, you know, sometimes people will say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm open to the gifts of the Spirit. You know, I'm, I'm open to these things. And he said, imagine if you said that to your wife, you know. I'm open to having sexual relations with you. I'm open to it. I think, what the heck? <laughs> you know, if you go to Ajax football stadium and see them play, you don't see their fans say, I'm open to them winning today, but if they lose, I don't really mind. That's not how people respond. There's an earnest desire. And that's how we should desire the gifts of the Spirit. It's an earnest, it's like a passion, a desire, a hunger that God wants to give you to desire them. So step number one is to actually desire them. Step number two is very simply just to ask. Let me read these words from Luke 11. They won't appear on the screen. But it says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. It's very simple. It's how God's teaching us to pray. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your fa heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you, if you ask for these gifts, God will give them to you. Now, they're not like, God won't give you all the gifts. The only person who's ever had all the gifts of the Spirit is Jesus. You're not Jesus. Okay, God gives different ones to different ones of us to serve, sometimes even 
God might give you a gift just for a certain season of your life to accomplish something. And, so, and then you might take it away again. And we can hold on to them things. They're not your gifts. They're things that have been given by grace to you to use. But seek them, ask for them. You know, on Father's Day, it's great because as a father, we get gifts from our kids. But we have a heavenly father who wants to give us gifts. He wants to gift you with the power of the Holy Spirit. We use those verses to talk about, to encourage people to pray, ask and seek and knock. You know, we talk about prayer, but actually the result is that our Father will give us the Holy Spirit. So seek him out, ask him. So we need to desire, we need to ask. We also need to recognize the things that God's already put within you. Often there are just natural skills and abilities that he's given you that you might not see them as that, but they're actually spiritual things. So for me, if you work in the medical profession, if you're a doctor or a nurse, probably most days you're practicing the gift of healing, maybe even the gift of helping, something God's given you to serve, to bless, to love, to display something of who he is to the world around you. Recognize the things that God's already put in you. The next one, practice them. Particularly when it comes to prophecy. See, the best way to learn how to prophesy is to start prophesying. The best thing to do is find a safe space. Find maybe in your community group, maybe at one of our prayer meetings, and maybe grab a friend, maybe two or three of you together, and you can say, can we just pray for one another? The best way to start prophesying is to, is to find someone and just pray encouragement over them, as, as in gospel encouragement. And you'll find that it, it will feel quite normal to you, but to them it will speak to them with power, and you'll realize the Holy Spirit is using you to prophesy his love right into their hearts. You just grab someone. You could do it today as we share communion together. You could just say, I just, God wants you to know how much he loves you. God, even just in saying those things, you'll find the person receiving it will be like, wow, thank you. I've had it sometimes where I've gone up to someone and said, I, I, I just want to, I was just reminded of this verse. I just want to read this verse and then pray for you. And I've read a verse and prayed God's blessing on them. And they've said to me, oh, gee, I was reading that verse this morning. And obviously God's trying to speak to me. That's the best way. If you want to learn how to prophesy, just start encouraging people. Just start praying scripture over them. That's definitely the best way to start. And lastly, is just remember the goal. We're to use these to serve people. We're to use them out of love. But the main aim really is we're using these to, to glorify, to magnify Jesus. We're never using them to show off to do some kind of weird spiritual magic. They're all about glorifying him. There's a beautiful couple of verses in 1 Peter, which I'll read and then we'll finish in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength 
that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why don't we just close your eyes, uh, if you're happy to do that, and let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that we can ask and seek and find, that we can knock and the doors open to us because we have a, a heavenly Father who wants to bless us richly. And I just pray for anyone here that isn't a follower of you, that wouldn't call themselves a Christian. I pray you would prompt them to, just to ask, just to come and ask a simple question of you, just that you put a desire in their heart to seek you, to knock. And I pray, God, that you would pour out your love upon them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for all of us as well, God, that we want to grow in these gifts because we want to see this church built and established in this city. And we do not want to do it in our strength, but in the strength that you supply and we want to do it so it glorifies and magnifies you. And Holy Spirit, we need you to do that. So we pray you come and flood our lives again. I pray that you would awaken gifts within us. Just gifts of serving and helping. That we'd be a church that cares and loves for this city, for the needy, for the brokenhearted. That you make us a compassionate people and you give us those gifts of compassion to serve the world around us. I'll pray as well, you'd give us gifts of faith, gifts of miracles, gifts of healing, of prophecy and of tongues and interpretations that we can be a people of power, that can minister your grace to this city and that your Holy Spirit would break into people's lives and bring radical change, that would use us to speak truth to people that sets people free that releases people into their destiny in you. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would use us, your body, your people. Amen.